I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12. The best business phone surface is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva, still cranking through the Pac-12, still sponsoring, still sponsoring. Uh, check them out for all of your business phone service needs. They've been a great partner to 12-Pack Radio and a great sponsor of the Conference of Champions. Visit Nextiva.com slash 12-Pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12-Pack to get started. Oh, For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bayonet College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 everything. Everything. We're going. We're, we're even going national today. We're going a little national today. We're going to rock through... Uh, we decided to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about the 2021 season and work through the top Pac-12 teams on the offensive front. So passing, uh, running, you know, total offense, and do a little bit of comparing and contrasting between the best performers in the Pac-12 and the best performers nationally to get a good idea of where the Conference of Champions sat last year. Because I think sometimes when you take a look at our conference or any conference, you know, you, you start comparing apples to to orange apples apples but then you got to kind of look around and see who who else is out there in this pool that we're in uh and we're gonna we're gonna tackle some new territory and i'm joined as always by rob bauer from sharp college football how are you rob i'm good i'm good like uh almost all the teams of the pac-12 are off and running on spring practice or getting close yeah like it's uh like it's the last day of college basketball like football is in the air oh yeah and, and by the way, we're going to get into spring practice here. We just divvied up the teams on our end, which is pretty exciting about who's going to contact or who's going to be following who. So we're going to have a lot to report on that front. Not a ton of news, I think, right? Coming from the Pac-12, uh, you know, there were, the news fairy didn't pop down this last week unless I missed something, Rob. I think Washington got a running back transfer from Virginia. Good job, guys. Uh, Wayne Taulupapa. He started 12 games in 2019, only rushed for 473 yards, um, and concussions have really limited him the last two years. Ooh, that's not good. That's not good. Stay healthy. No. Stay healthy. You know, get that scholarship, right? You know, let's study some finance and business. But uh, no, I, I, hopefully things work out on that front. It's always good to add new talent. But um, yeah, hope, hopefully he stays. He was a, initially a three-star commit to Virginia. And um, let's get some more. Let's get some more stuff over in the Pac-12. Uh, I'm just taking a look to see if anything else really came along the uh, the wire here. Not a lot. I think we covered all the other transfers last year. We're still on JT Daniels' watch, so very excited about that. And we will. Uh, we're not doing an emergency pod. You know, it's not that he's, important. He's vi- he's he's visiting West Virginia this week, I think. So I think I think we're going to be in okay shape there, right? 
You say that Graham Harrell's the OC there, and as much as I want to warn him, like, don't go back and like reunite with Graham Harrell, like people, you know, it always like people are always more comfortable with someone they know. Yeah, I know. I. I, I been there in college my man <laughs> so let's uh, <laughs> uh so they did announce this last week uh that they are doing away with the pac-12 office in san francisco oh i did see that that's pretty cool right like and I th- yeah. it sounds like the details are still to be determined but they're I, the way i read it was like they figured out that oh yeah maybe spending nine million dollars a year on like an office in san francisco is a bad idea and everybody can work from home and we're going to find some place more affordable to do our broadcasting. Right. Is that, is that roundabouts the, the summary? I, th- I think that's right. I mean, like for right now, like they're going to let go of like most of the office space for the conference offices. And then I think the pat they are going to continue to work to try to figure out the PAC 12 network. Okay. Well, good for them. Um, you know, we, uh, that was a, a big bugaboo that, we and everybody else that covers the conference has been complaining about for the last 20 years. So it's always nice when you see leadership, you know, be leaders and decide that maybe we should give this to, I don't know, Colorado to, uh, to buy out Carl Durrell that, you know, maybe transfer that money over there or something. I don't know. I, you know, I'm just throwing out ideas here. I'm sure that's not the way the money flow works, but, um, having an extra four or $5 million to promote the conference, I'm sure would, uh, can pay dividends. And, um, hopefully that money is well spent. Uh, anything else, uh, Rob on the PAC 12 front? Th- thanks for bringing that up. I totally forgot about that. And uh, I remember it popping up on my radar and going, Oh, super. Like, I'm glad we did that. Yeah. I mean, it's good. I mean, and, and uh, click off the, uh, I just pronounced that right. Anyway, like he Whatever, uh, close enough. Yeah. His, <laughs> his salary is also significantly lower than Larry Scott. So they are in a spot where potentially they should be divvying up more money to the, the teams within the conference. Now we're not talking, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but you know, enough that it may be as much as $500,000 a year. Yeah. Um, it- well, and that's 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 great. Though. You know, there's there's nearly every athletic program you can think of in the Pac-12 can think of something to do with 500k. Oh, for sure. I think one of the things that I really enjoy about the Cover Three podcast, which we've talked about a, a decent amount on the show, uh, I just really like what they're doing there. But Bud Elliott talks about this because he interviews a lot of the, I don't want to say fringe staff, but like the lower staff guys that are grinding away at you know recruiting film and social media stuff and. For some of these schools, particularly in like Los Angeles or Seattle is a good example of just a really expensive city, uh, Berkeley. Um, I would actually use Washington and, and Cal as the better examples and Stanford, you know, these these programs that aren't thriving off of like ginormous donations that aren't in like huge media markets, but the cost of living is so expensive and it's hard to bring in like a, a linebackers coach, you know, that has to drive two hours to get to the, the school that they work out just because housing is so expensive. So uh, yeah, like to your point, $500,000, if you spread that around the staff or marketing, like there's just some really cool things that you could do with that. So uh, really excited to see, you know, some, some actual moves happen in the conference that are, that, that actually makes sense. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. I said, it would have been nice right. if the Pac-12 won like one more basketball game. That would also have gotten a lot of money to the conference. <laughs> <laughs> well, like in particular, on you know, like yeah, and, and I realize, like, don't go spend the money on another skiing coach or something like that, right? Or a sailing coach if you're Stanford. Um, yeah, like maybe do invest the money in basketball because really, I, I mean, the conference I think is. Uh, going to be fine with headliners at UCLA and Arizona. 
I mean, uh, I want to say, assuming that like Tommy Lloyd continues to mostly work out, I, I, I don't, I get like, we got one, we got one season. Um, let's, let's, let's pump the brakes on like the dominant, like Tommy Lloyd's going to win national championships, but at the same time, like, you know, you, you feel pretty good, but man, a lot of the rest of the conference, like really needs a reset on what the heck they're doing. I mean, Cal, <laughs> Stanford, Jeez. Yeah. Washington. I mean, Washington state made a nice run in the NIT Oregon state just, you know, really just has totally fallen off the map. They've had a lot of transfers as well. Um, Utah has been abysmal. Um, and is, is not great again, all of a sudden. Um, and yeah, I mean, the conference needs more, I mean, significantly more investment in basketball. Cause look like football is the major revenue driver, uh, for sure. But I mean, I feel like the conference ignores, ba- you know, fully ignores basketball at their own peril because it does make it, it it's a money maker. It's not a, it's not a money loser. Oh yeah. And like, I want to give a special shout out to Washington state. Cause I went back and looked at their schedule and if they played in the ACC or the Big Ten or the Big like the Big Twelve, I think they're in the tournament because they the record yeah. they had was it was decent, and I think that's a program that can pop up a little bit. But you know, we we've already talked about Tad Boyle. He's basically like the Bennigans or Applebee's of like the Pac twelve, or it's just you know whatever. Like <laughs> you're competent, but that's about it. And it would be nice for the conference to be able to to move up a little bit. But it's nice to see Washington State making some moves. Um, Oregon State, holy Moses, the contract they gave Wayne Tinkle for going on a magical run. And then he wins three games the next year. And I was at two at them where they got their ass kicked by Arizona. And then at UC- and then UCLA came and waxed them by 40. So that's not good. But yeah, I mean, if we could get a few more teams that are just competent and can make the tournament on a regular basis. And I think there is some... And then we're not going to talk about college basketball for like 12 months. So don't worry about it, everybody. Um, yeah. That, like there, there is some optimism about Utah's coach um, being somebody that could, it's, it's just like very well respected in the profession. So anyway, yeah. I, I, and I, I would love for Utah to be good. I mean, like the, the Keith Van Horn, like all the, those teams, the Brick Majerus and everything that, that, that was fun. So it would be nice to have that program. Well, you fans again. care about hoops too. I mean, like they really care. Um, and it's a bummer to see that fan base <clears throat> sort of stuck in the mud. <laughs> I mean, I would also say like, you know, like Cal and Utah who have the Under Armour contracts, like maybe need to reevaluate some life decisions <laughs> as they apply to, uh, cause I, I listened to Merle Code's book, um, you know, and I, I recommend anyone either read it or listen to it. Um, but it, uh, you know, like under, I don't think Under Armour is really all that competitive in helping Cal and, and Utah land players. Um, and I think it's really hurt their basketball programs too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep a look at that, but that is for another time. I'm glad that some decisions are being made that are good. Obviously you USC popping in Lincoln Riley, way more important than yeah. Stanford getting a better basketball coach than Haas. So, uh, I think that's that's good. Let's talk football here, Rob. I think one of the things that we wanted to do was to compare the Pac-12's offense against some of the top offenses from an advanced statistics standpoint um, last year. And I, I popped up the numbers, 
and I've been following this a little bit. And frankly, I was a little surprised. I think there's some teams that from a remember these are advanced statistics. So it isn't just how many yards you have. It's like, are you efficient? Are you explosive? Uh, can you pass the ball? Can you run the ball and stuff like that? But um, some of the, so the top 10 teams from an offensive perspective last year, and then, um, or let's go top four. Actually, let's let's do top ten just for fun, and then we'll 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 yeah. boil it down here so we can start comparing to the top teams. So, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, kind of the three. Georgia in there is interesting. Um, I'm going to ask you yep. about like four of these teams here as we go through because I think they're it's it's interesting. Tennessee at number four, Kentucky at number five, yeah, Utah yep. at number six, yep, B- BYU at seven. Michigan at eight. That's another one that's interesting. Mississippi State at nine and Mississippi at 10. Those were the top 10 offenses last year from an advanced metrics standpoint, uh, from the beta rank perspective. I think everybody understands Ohio State was awesome and is going to continue to be awesome. The questions that I had in that like top four, top five were Georgia, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Because, you know, that's when, fair. Yeah. What do you think offense, though? Like, you know, uh, uh, Stetson Bennett didn't really jump off the screen. But so what was beta rank looking at when we were looking at those three teams? Well, one thing about George is they're really balanced, right? They're, they're at seven and effective pass number eight and effective rush. So Stetson Bennett for like got it done enough, but he was also aided by a terrific running game. But Georgia play, I mean, one of the things to look at is Georgia played a pretty tough schedule. I mean, they got Alabama twice. Um, And Alabama had a really, really good defense last year. And I would expect them to have a really, really, really good defense coming into this season. Um, You know, uh, and Georgia in the first game, you know, I think that's the one that people sort of remember most of that about that. Um, You know, the sixth out of their mind when they think of that Georgia offense, but think of that second game. I mean, Georgia really was able to move the ball and manufacture points against Alabama in a way that uh, the advanced stats were certainly expecting um, them to be able to do. I think coming into the season, they were uh, Georgia. I, I think people sort of, um, underrated how, how tough their schedule was because they're again, like, I mean, the games weren't over, like the games weren't close overall and Georgia didn't have like some amazing dominant offensive run. This isn't nobody last season got into the range that we have seen teams like Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley or Ohio state under Ryan day for the most part, get up to in the last couple seasons, only Ohio state really came close. Um, but Georgia, when you combine it with having a really, really dominant defense, the part that everybody talked about, but under the radar, like Georgia was about, ba- you know, a fairly balanced team with a, with a very good offense. Okay. Um, now Tennessee, Tennessee is like, oh man, like people, uh, <clears throat> people should be excited about the job that Josh Heupel did last season with Tennessee. Um, he really, he, if you look at his UCF teams, they really threw the ball around quite a bit. He came into Tennessee Tennessee looked at his roster and said, well, we're not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) They ran the ball a lot. They were number three in effective rush, 29 in effective pass. Now, like one of the things I'm going to call out here just to kind of help people understand is so like Georgia put up against the number six schedule overall, in beta in in beta rank on offense, they played the sixth hardest slate of defenses. I'm sorry, the two the number two hardest slate of defenses. Kentucky played the number nine hardest slate, or sorry, the number thirty one hardest slate of defenses. Tennessee played the number nine hardest slate of defenses. So Tennessee played a bunch of really good defenses out there. 
but they still put up 2.77 yards per play or points per drive. Oh, wow. that's a raw number. So like their, their number is still really good. I mean, Tennessee put up a bunch of points. They didn't have like, they didn't have amazing starting field position because their defense stunk. Um, and so that set them up to really, I mean, be in a spot where they were able to, to like with like to be able to put up when they put up points, they were often doing it against tough defenses and, and that really counted in their favor. Um, and really like people should be, I, I say this, like if, if Tennessee can get the defense figured out, cause they were number 52 last season in Baderick, um, they, they're like. Josh Heupel is somebody to watch. Like everybody kind of made fun of that hire, like, cause they hired UCF's uh, athletic director and then he hired Josh Heupel, <laughs> but, but Heupel came in, made it work offensively. Now, again, like that number that you see from Tennessee last season, that's not like some of like, you know, in 20, you know, in 2019, that offense is not going to grade out in the top four. Um, now Kentucky they're a decent step back from Tennessee. Like they're, you know, Tennessee's at 1.31 Kentucky's at 1.15 on their offensive score. But the thing about Kentucky is like, they played a decent slate of defenses. Not, not great. They were 31. Um, when you look at the total overall, but they, they did put up 2.73 points per drive. Um, and I think people underestimate how good this was, this offense was the, the offensive play caller for Kentucky got a promotion. He's now the offensive play caller for the Super Bowl champion of yeah. Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not as like I just like it's not as if um like I mean Kentucky, I thought I thought Liam Cohen, who was their OC, um, was one of the best hires in college football last year. Just did a terrific job reshaping this offense. Um, they still ran the ball considerably, but Kentucky, like one of the other things with Kentucky is they had horrendous starting field position. They started Tennessee average starting field, field position uh, offensively was a little over 31. Kentucky was under 28. Um, for their, their average starting field position. So that matters too. I mean, Kentucky often had a longer field to go to get the points that they got. Huh? Well, that, that's interesting. Cause we, we went one through five, right? We don't have to talk about Alabama cause we've talked about them a lot. So number one, Ohio state, number two, Georgia, Alabama, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, which gives us to our first team here, which is Utah. Um, by the way, if yep. you go on to sharpcollegefootball.com right now, if you go to advanced stats, you can actually look at the offensive. If you go to offensive rankings, you can see how teams uh, match up, not just this year, but to prior years, which is fascinating. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit. You know, historically, how is the Ohio State offense? Historically, how is the Utah offense? Uh, but let's just talk about 2021 here. They're ranked number six. Um, tell us a little bit about what they did well and how they rank, you know, how they stack up against the top, the top five offenses here in the country. So the, the, one of the important things to call out is, is Utah's offense is almost a, I mean, I, like, I would also say like toss out what you saw in the Rose bowl. (laughs) I mean, um, for the most part, but they're nearly a full, you know, like a, a almost a full point worse than Ohio State's offense, right? Ohio State's offense last season graded out at one point nine two, Utah graded out at one point one three. So in uh, beta rank. let me stop you there real fast. What, like, how big of a gap is that? So you're talking about like, and and if you go onto the the site in the column, you'll see the the actual scores in Ohio State. You'll yep. see one point nine two, but like, 
what does what does that mean is that points per drive is that like what what it's a, it's like it, it is a, it is an opponent and field position adjusted points per drive essentially okay so so i mean like that's that's extremely significant that would mean that for every drive that against the same defense ohio state's going to put up a point more per drive roughly than utah um, and then if you like extrapolate that out, you get the ball so many times. So are you thinking like, yeah, is that seven? I mean, how many possessions do teams usually have? Uh, it, offensive possessions, they'll usually run between between 10 to f- I mean, 14 gets to be like a lot of tens a little. I'm trying to think like you get real outliers at like 17 possession offensive possessions a game. Um, so but you're talking about like. You know, I mean, now, now in that Rose Bowl game, Ohio State's defense stunk. So you got to see that. (laughs) And that's what really held the Buckeyes back last year was the defense. But I mean, we often talk about this to give you an example. Like, so the space, you know, there's five spots between Ohio State and Utah. There are five spots between Ohio State or I mean, Utah and UCLA at number 11. There is 0.11 of a point between Utah and UCLA. Meanwhile, there's, you know, like we said, like nearly a full point between Ohio State and Utah. Um, That's a substantial difference, right? Like, I mean, Utah is marginally better than, um, you know, UCLA. Ohio State is a full couple of steps better than than Utah. But I do want to call out, I mean, this was a very good Utah offense. Um, And they really came on late in the season. Um, what, What they were really good at comparatively was explosive drives number nine and explosive drives put up a lot of big plays now they struggled a little bit with drive efficiency 29 and drive efficiency so something to look out for next season is season if they are looking to improve is can they put together more um you know long drives to be able to put up points but they largely avoided three and outs and turnovers they had an excellent negative drive score um they didn't play a particularly tough schedule you know, the Pac-12, I mean, Utah, I mean, if we talk about like the difference, like just in raw points, you know, both Tennessee and Kentucky are sitting in like that 2.7 range. Utah's at 2.93. So they're putting up more po- raw points per drive. They have a really good starting field position at 32. Trouble is, is that they only play the 55, 55th hardest schedule in college, you know, among offenses in college football last season. So that that's where they get dinged relative to to the, the teams that finished ahead of them a bit. Um, but they really, I mean, they, they throw the ball well enough. And I think that's one thing that cam rising certainly adds in, you know, but, uh, he, they, him coming in at quarterback and the changes they made along the offensive line, they really improved as a team running the football. They were number four in effective rush last season, 39 in effective pass. So, um, yeah, they're they're. Uh, I think I don't know that I don't know that Utah's going to get a lot better running the football in a lot of ways. Like there, there's probably more room for them to improve in the passing game if they're going to improve offensively. Yeah, to compare to you know another team. So Utah's numbers from a pass run split are fairly similar to Michigan's last year. You know, yep. but better. You know, uh, Utah was four on the ground. Michigan was nine. Utah was uh, 39 throwing through the air. Michigan was 34, which which is kind of surprising. And and actually uh, to compare them in, to another team, you know, UCLA comes in at 11, and like you mentioned, these teams are pretty close, right? So, uh, y- yep. you know, like just doing back of the envelope math, Utah is is going to be about eight points, eight eight to ten points ish. They're going to score eight to ten fewer points in a game than Ohio State's offense 
but Ohio yep. State's the best offense in the country. But Utah right. and UCLA are going to be really, really close together. And UCLA stacks in at six on the ground and 43 in the air. I think it's really interesting because if you take a look at, at Utah, I just, in my mind, I had Utah's passing game significantly better than UCLA. If you were to tell me without looking at the numbers, big, like, oh yeah, Utah's way ahead of UCLA, but it wasn't that it's, they're actually quite close. Yeah. I mean the, one of the things to look at, I mean, and look, Dorian Thompson Robinson wasn't super efficient last year, but he was, I mean, we do have a listener that hates it when we say gamer, but he was a gamer. Like he was a guy, he hung in there, took shots, um, you know, was able to, uh, I think really, I mean, and there are some games like particularly that Oregon game, like he really competed and hung in there and kept them in it. Um, but I think if you look at overall, I mean, Utah, where they did their damage, I mean, the, the, they often hit big pass plays, but it was often set up by the run game. I mean, they were, they became such a dominant run team. And that's one of the things that rising really brings to the table versus what Charlie Brewer was bringing to the table is rising is an absolute weapon in the running game. Oh yeah. It, it was, it was very fun to watch them play like the whole year. And, and one of the things, the other things to mention too, Rob, is that you build in kind of a, a half-life, right? So the games at the beginning of the year aren't as weighted as the games at the end of the year. Is that true? Am I getting that right? Yes. So there's an exponential decay built in. I care a lot more about games that you played recently versus games that you played months ago. Um, and so for Utah, part of the reason you're going to find Utah's offense higher in beta rank than you are in some other systems is they may wait. And I know S and P plus does this. I believe the FEI does as well. Um, they, they have an even weighting of all games over the season. Um, I don't. And beta rank predicts better when I have a time decay built in, um, and Utah. So I am waiting the early season games where Charlie Brewer was the quarterback a lot less than I am the late season games. But I also should say, the bowl data was wonky as hell this season. So other than the playoff games, it's not included. That is another major difference between beta rank and other systems this, for this last year. And, uh, the, and I will give you an example <laughs> just to, like, I think in, um, but can't like, there's a game that moved things a ton and it was Kansas state versus LSU in a bowl game. And I, oh, yeah. you, you LSU may have had like thir 35 guys that they could suit up for that game. <laughs> and if you leave the data in Kansas state had something like the 16th or 17th best offense in college football, it just totally changed <laughs> their numbers. Um, but they're at 47 with that data out. <laughs> I mean, and if you look, I mean, cause like you, you get so few non-conference, you know, shots and LSU had a pretty good defense last year. So like Kansas state coming in and just dominating LSU's defense looked really good, but like they fired their offensive coordinator, right? Like you, we, we have to, we have to be good stewards of the data. And that may mean occasionally saying like this data is bad. I'm not including it. <laughs> so it's not included. So if you're a Utah fan, what Utah did against Ohio state's bad and depleted defense is not included in the, in these scores. Yeah. And, and, or, and Charlie Brewer isn't included. I mean, it is, but it's not as heavily yeah. weighted, which is good. That's like, well, I mean, for yeah. that matter too, like Kentucky kind of struggling. A I mean, they did well. I mean, they didn't do too badly against Iowa in that bowl game, but that game is also not included in. Yeah. Um, because I just don't, I don't have any faith in the data. Well, third in the Pac-12 
and you don't have to dip down too far is Oregon clocking in at 14. And I guess one of my questions for you is how, uh, like how many points roundabout per game are they behind Utah's offense? And I just, Utah at six, man, like if you're a Utah fan, I, I just, there are a lot of fist pumps going on in the car right now because it's like, you know, yeah. going yeah. back three, three, four years earlier, you're like, oh, for the love of God, can you throw the ball in there? Uh, they're actually moving the, the ball. But so how, how far behind Utah is Oregon? So over the full, over a full game, Utah is going to generate likely around three points better um, in an average college football game than, than Oregon is. Um, which isn't bad, right? I mean, they're, they're now like Oregon is a full point behind Ohio state, like a full, like Utah, Utah's close, right? We're rounding up by a bit to, to get there for Utah, but for Oregon, they're a full point behind, um, where Ohio state is. And I think it surprises people to see Oregon here. I think people forget how good Oregon was running the football last year. Um, and how much, Joe Moore had really got out of what he had available and what he was working with. Um, but yeah, Utah ran the, I mean, Oregon ran the ball pretty well. Number 13 an effective rush. The thing that killed them was they stunk, stunk throwing the ball 42 an effective pass. That's a bad power five passing attack for sure. And that's where your real problems would come in. I mean, Oregon didn't play too many great defenses last year. Um, they did finish at number 16 overall, um, in the, you know, against the defenses they played. Part of that is they got to play Utah twice. Um, but you, Oregon wasn't good enough to show up and just be able to move the ball and do whatever you wanted. If you committed to take the runaway against them, there just weren't that many teams that they played that could, they could do that. And so they were able to put up some yards and, uh, and points last season. Mm. So they're about three points back in a game from yeah. Utah, fairly close to UCLA. And then, right. you know, the next team on the on the map here is number sixteen, Oregon State, which I don't right. think is surprising, right? Number eleven on on the ground, number forty five through the air. Man, it'd be like, None of, nobody in the Pac twelve could throw the damn ball last season. I know, like that's, <laughs> I was just like, if they get a quarterback, my God, like right there, a top ten offense probably. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, if like JT Daniels went to Oregon state, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I mean, the, look at what they built, right? Like look with Jim Halchek and Lindgren and Smith have built where they basically have a guy that I would say is, is, is not going to get, might start at one or two big 10 teams. I mean, maybe let's, I mean, I'm counting Northwestern well, pretty as I say, let's let's like, let's pump the brakes. A big, there's some bad quarterbacks in the Big Ten. <laughs> that's true. I mean, like Jack, Jack, you know, like uh, Graham Mertz still got to play. Um, but I mean, like, is is likely not going to get any starts in like any SEC at any SEC school, including Vanderbilt, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think that like the fact that they were able to get an offense into this range, where I mean, that really speaks well because like you, you did, and this is true of. Oregon for the most part too, you really didn't have to like, you didn't have to scheme too much <laughs> against the passing game. Right. Like you like, but they did, I think they did it enough to get it to, to keep things moving. Now the thing that's different about them versus all of the other teams above them in the pack 12 is they were not terribly explosive. Yeah. So they're at 42 an effective rush. The thing that they did really, really well 
um, or the two things that they did really, really well is they were incredibly efficient. So they're number 13 in drive efficiency. They really put together, I mean, this speaks to play calling and execution. You know, they don't have game break, game breaker type players that are going to be able to get out there and put up big plays. What they did is they executed really well put together long drives, put up points. They also, their negative drives rank was really good. Number 10 overall. That means they didn't take a lot of three and outs, not a lot of turnovers. They didn't do, I mean, they did smart things when they had the football. It's just one of those ones of like, man, like if you put just a little bit more talent in Jonathan Smith's hands, like, like it is funny because like Dennis Erickson really used the transfer portal to his massive advantage at, or at Oregon state. And you just don't, like I and I, I'm not saying this is like I expect Jonathan Smith to suddenly turn things around through the transfer portal, but I do feel like he could be more like I feel like they could be more active in landing players than they've been. See, I I'd push back on that a little bit. I think they've they've tried right. They've got uh, yeah. some of the pickups they've had haven't worked out as well. Like Addison Gums ended up turn you know tearing his ACL. They've yeah. gotten a couple. Like I think it's Tyson Littlejohn. If I I might have gotten the guy's name wrong, and I apologize. But the there's a four star Nebraska wide receiver, four star Florida State wide receiver they brought on. But like they haven't really hit. So like and they just yeah, brought on the South Carolina running back last year. They just got another one this year. So it to your point though, they they haven't you know you haven't seen them pop on the field. But I do think that they're trying. But man. Imagine if they did bring in a couple, just a couple more playmakers on that offense. I, I do think that you'd have a, a lot to work with. And the fact that they finally fired their defensive coordinator, but they, they hired internally. You're like, ah, I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, that's their other, I mean, they're they're If you look to sort of look at their weaknesses, right? Like it's QB, it's a lack of, you know, like top end speed you know, and competence at some of the positions to be able to put up some big plays. I mean, I'm sure they have some really fast guys. They just may not be, they, they may make too many mistakes to be able to stay on the field. Um, but then the defense, right? Like, and that's one of the things, like when you go through here too, Oregon did not have a particularly good defense last season um, at all. And like when they were going against Utah, they were often in, a pretty big hole <laughs> field position wise. Right. Um, you know, versus where their uh, versus where Utah's offense was able to, to start things out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rob, we have a massive drop off after this, but yes. that doesn't necessarily mean that the offenses were garbage. It just means that they're, you know, we just talked about the top, you know, 20 teams and uh, the Pac-12 had about three or four, had four of them in there. So we're going to, we're going to drop down here to the next level. And what I'd like to do is set up the scale of like what, what the medium team is in this next group compared to the top and then compare the, the next group down to the median team, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think it'll give people a sense of scale on where they actually are in the pecking order. And uh, let's do that right after this. We'll take a quick break and then we'll pop back into the next teams. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We moved from the A minuses to the Bs, and we're heading we're heading into that the 
C plus, B minus area to here where we're dipping down into the 20s to 40s. There is a big drop off between uh, the the last Pac-12 team in the top 20, which would be Oregon State at number 16, to the next Pac-12 team, which would be Washington State. And then there's a couple teams behind them. So what I thought would be helpful was to give a sense of scale, right? So after 16, we dropped pretty far down. And so I want to compare the next group of teams to two teams that I think a lot of team people know about, and that would be Iowa State and Notre Dame. Those are 24 and 25. They're right next to each other. I think we kind of know what we're getting there with Iowa State, like a pretty efficient team. They got Brock Purdy. Um, they were able to pass it. Their running game was meh. Um, Notre Dame, the offense was fine. Um, so, Rob, before we start with Washington State, Let's. How far is Iowa State in terms of uh, points per game from Ohio State? I mean, there now we now we're at the point where it from Ohio State we're talking about one point two ish, um, you know, points per drive. So that's I mean that 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 really adds up, right? Like so, against the same against the same unit that you're going to run into against the same you know uh, opposing team. And maybe like what I should do is like uh, I'll I'll break out the distributions of what it looks like if they were to go against the same units or something like that. But you're looking at significant like that's that that really adds up over a game, um, and that's even before you start to take into account you know like if you gave Ohio State's defense like really if they if you gave Ohio State like a really good defense, you also have to add on like the field position type thing. But given the same field position and the same um, facing the same unit, Iowa State and Notre Dame are going to put up roughly a point less per drive than Ohio State would. Yeah, so like a back, more one point two. Like back yeah, in the napkin, 1.2. probably like twelve to fourteen points in a game, right? Like yep. if if wow, that's just a lot. I mean, it just shows you the difference. That is right? a lot. <laughs> um, so let's compare these next group. Like just so keep in mind, right? These teams. 12 points at least less than Ohio State, like if they were to play the same team on the same field, blah, 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 blah. Um, so let's compare this next group of Pac-12 teams to Iowa State and Notre Dame. Clocking in next, so so Notre Dame's at 25. You have to dip down into 36 to get to Washington State, which is which is interesting because it, it felt like a better offense, but I do think that if you're a Cougar fan, and you watch that team. I think I think a lot of Kook fans would be like, yeah, you know, like, that, that's about right. And, you know, like Delora could could be good. He could be bad. the The running game certainly wasn't where we thought it was going to be. Um, you right. know, given that we knew they were going to throw the ball more, but certainly I think that unit underperformed. What What did we get in this Washington State team? So this Washington State squad. I mean, l- look. I mean, like I thought they actually upgraded the play caller when the prior offensive coordinator got fired. Um, you know, they, they were a decent unit. I mean, but they, they only put up, I mean, if we're talking about like say Tennessee or someone like that, putting up 2.7 points per drive against a pretty good slate of defenses, um, Washington state only put up 2.12 points for raw points per drive. Um, and then they did that against a pretty, a pretty weak schedule. I mean, number 60 overall and, uh, in the slate of defenses that they faced. Um, so that hurt now they were, they were a fairly explosive offense. That's what what they really did best. They were 22 and explosive drives. Um, but you're right. They didn't run the ball. Well, 72 and effective rush 17 and effective pass 
they struggled, I think. I mean, some of it was the changeover, you know, but they were at 74 in um, drive efficiency. They just, they really couldn't put together, you know, a, a, a really consistent offensive product out there. And I, I think that makes sense when you think about the season they had. But with all the turnover, I mean, crazy turnover they had, and I have no idea what Jane Delora did to end up consistently in Nick Rolovich's, <laughs> like... I mean, that guy was always in trouble with Rolovich, but eventually he always gets the job back, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like so, I, I, I expect, you know, like I, I, but this offense, you know, I think that they could have, in a, in a, in a more normal season you know, for them, they maybe finish a little bit higher, but they struggled. I mean, like, and they, they finished right behind LSU an offense that really had their ups and downs in the season. Um, and right along with Texas again, like a, uh, an offense that I think as soon as people figured out that, um, Texas wasn't much, uh, wasn't much other than, uh, Robinson, that was it. They were in trouble. Is Texas back. Texas is never back. Texas is never back. Oh man, it all depends on if Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers can like get it together. <laughs> um, not to mention the coaching staff. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like I think they've got a good running back. Yeah, I mean, and really too, you know, who's on the hot seat there is Kwiatkowski. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, sorry, he may not. He may not. I mean, because they've got Gary Patterson there as an analyst, like, and at literally everyone in big 12 country like the rumors are running rant. i mean of course because texas they like short of short of auburn texas has the most dysfunctional booster culture <laughs> in college football um but the rumors are already flying right that uh quiet kowski could get replaced mid-season by gary patterson ooh, ooh, i keep a look out for that um so how many points per drive is washington state from iowa state because there's a pretty deep drop off between it's about four points it's about four points yeah that's it so again consider that compared to ohio state now we're we're talking about the drop off here okay um like if you think about that like that's tough i mean like now you're in a spot where like now i have to come up with my defense has to you know hold their offense in check hold them short um i need to turn over um you know or my my field goal kicker has to have a hell of a day yeah yeah, so we're kind of getting to the area of like, okay, things are getting a little shaky here, which is a bummer because we aren't halfway through the Pac-12. Uh, number 40 is USC, who uh, clocks in behind Michigan State, SMU, Texas, and then, of course, Washington State, like we just mentioned. Um, not a huge drop-off between them and Washington State, though. Is that is that a fair assessment? Right. They're pretty close. I mean, this this USC defense or offense was was pretty bad last year. Um, but they did finish at, you know, 2.35, you know, points per drive. Um, they didn't have a great started field position at 2.6, uh, or I mean at the 20, you know, just right around the 26. Um, and they did not play a, a great slate of, uh, you know, defenses either. They graded out playing the number 30, you know, the number 35 overall schedule. Um, they really, really struggled to run the football 79 and effective rush. It's just unacceptable. And effective. Like, yeah. I mean, and Graham Harrell, as we all know, still ran the football a bunch, even though they couldn't run the football. Oh my gosh. Like the only thing they did well, right. It would be kind of negative drives, right? Like, so 19, yeah. is that, is that acceptable for USC? Is that like, you know, yeah, I mean, look it, like it, that's a number you're fine with the big number. So the big numbers that drive most of your score on offense are your drive efficiency, 
um, and then your uh, explosive drives. And then you just don't want negative drives taking a huge hit because negative drives is negative. It is you just want to minimize that number. You want to minimize the mistakes you're making. Um, you just don't want negative drives to go out and make take a big haircut off of what you're doing. Um, so USC, you know, like their 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 biggest problem was drive efficiency. They could not string together long drives to put up points at all. Some of it is. Um, you know, Slovis and injuries and, you know, Jackson Dart and an experience. And then it's, you know, Graham Harrell was not a great play caller, but if there's one unit in the pack, I mean, if there's one unit in the pack 12 that you would stick your face, like just, you could, you don't even have to be that smart of a football analyst. <laughs> like you expect to have a meteoric change over where they were last year. It's USC. On offense, not defense. Do not get me wrong. I am like two, four, seven have predicted USC to win the Pac-12, and I was like, that is bananas. But like offensively, you're getting a huge upgraded play caller. You're getting a huge upgraded QB. Your offensive line coach—they hired Texas A&M's O-line coach. I mean, like Lincoln Riley for the most part wasn't messing around. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a an area that they can definitely pop up in 79. I mean, like, and I get it right. The, the game has changed and, and all that stuff. So student body, right. Isn't always good, what you want it to be if you're at USC, but like 79, Holy Moses, like they should, ne- even with the air raid. And again, like you mentioned, they were trying to run the ball. It wasn't like they were just throwing the ball around the, the field. They were, they were doing a bunch of other things to try to get that running game rolling. And it just didn't happen. So uh, I'm glad that there's a change there. Let's hope that they make uh, progress sooner than later. The sad thing though, Rob is like, we're kind of dumping on USC's offense. And then there's a long drop <laughs> to the next fact. Holy crap. Like what a terrible, terrible offensive uh, performance for the conference this year. So again, like, you know, the last time we, we compared teams to Ohio state and then we go down to um, Iowa state and Notre Dame. I want to take another drop down here with some teams that we're probably familiar with. And again, now we're starting to get into, Oh, I don't know about these offensive programs. So uh, Wisconsin is at 54 and TCU is at 55, not teams that you think of when you think offensive powerhouses, although Wisconsin has always been able to run the ball. They came in at 18 this, this year, which isn't actually not great for them. Uh, They, they had a pretty crappy, uh, you know, I think it was more the quarterback this, this time, but uh, they come at 54 and 55, Rob, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but how big of a drop off are they from um, Iowa State and Notre Dame? Oh, geez. Um, so Iowa State and Notre Dame are going to put up. Oh, wow. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, this is bad. <laughs> uh, it's about seven points. Oh my god. <laughs> so they're set. So these teams now are like. And by the way, we haven't even gotten to the Pac-12 teams yet. These teams are seven points behind Iowa State and Notre Dame, which are like whatever many points that are behind Ohio State. Yeah. Right? So we're just so like ASU is probably around like eight points. Yeah. So we're talking like not that we are in the not good offense standpoint here, where you know maybe USC. No, no, they're, they're this is a very bad Power Five offense. ASU is at sixty overall. There are a hundred and thirty teams. It you know that played FBS football last season. There are sixty five Power Five teams. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, the, we're talking Kansas territory here. We're talking about Power Five. Uh, no, no, sixty here for ASU, like you mentioned. So they they clock in next. Ah, I mean, I, I, this this whole ASU offense was so depressing because it seemed like the offensive line wasn't terrible. 
you know, and like, it seemed like they actually shored that up. I mean, compared to past years, right. It was just execution, right? Like, I mean, yes, they had, they had a good running back, but they like 83. Hey, well, you, you go ahead and talk about ASU's offense here. Cause I'm, I'm going to throw up on the microphone here in a sec. So they put up 2.32 points per drive. Um, they had an average started field position of about the 29. Um, what they, what really hammers them is they did it against very weak competition. The number 62 overall, a strength of schedule. Um, now they struggled, struggled with drive efficiency, number 79 overall. They could not put together long drives to be able to put up points. Now where they were good is big plays, number 26 overall on explosive drive. So, um, that really carried them in a lot of ways, but number 69 in, uh, negative drives. I mean, too many three and outs, too many turnovers, um, and 28 running the ball, 83 ineffective pass 80. I mean, the, and we all, I mean, look, I mean, like you and I got some, I mean, you remember back in the day when people would like write emails about how dumb we were for, or maybe it was just me, but for talking about Jaden Daniels and like, don't get too excited about that completion percentage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, from year one, um, like they really struck, he really regressed and struggled throwing. I mean, I wouldn't argue he regressed. I think he was the same guy he was. Um, you know, I just, I, they really struggled to throw the football last season. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're looking at ASU, you're looking, I, I, and I honestly believe this. I think a new quarterback with better arm talent, um, and a new offensive coordinator, even if it's, even if it's not great, they, I mean, they, they made a decent hire. I mean, about as good a hire as you can expect given the circumstances. I mean, it might be a little better for them throwing the football. The question is, is like, do they have the horses, right? Like, um, because last season, the offensive line opened up some holes and their backs really got through them to create big plays. And that was almost all of the offense. Yeah. It's, it, it was a tough year for ASU. And if you kind of look at the peers that they're in here, it's, Maryland, Boise State, West Virginia, Liberty, Missouri. So, I mean, like, on paper, you know, like, they weren't uh, – no, NC State's on here. They, these weren't offenses that were, like, total dumpster fires, but they weren't yeah, – we'll get there to those teams, by the way. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, you could, st- you could still squint and say, oh, okay, well, they might be good at this or they could do this and stuff. So it's – but, again, when you're comparing this to, like, can your team make the playoff? Can your team – is your team a lead on offense? Right. Like now we're just talking about just trying to get by basically uh, with your offensive production to try to be able to, to win games like, in your conference. Take a look at like, we're like at number 69 overall Clemson, right? Offensively, like Clemson had an excellent defense again last season. Like you have to, that's where, but that's where, like if your offense is going to be this bad, yeah, that's where your, that's where your defense, like and Clemson also played in the ACC. So like they won 10 games against the weakest conference in college football, but like you, you, the rest of your team has to be excellent and your competition has to suck in order to, to really put together a good season when you're struggling this bad. Now, to be fair, like Clemson did that with a bunch of four and five star talent. So that's big oops, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, so, uh, so did ACU on those wide receivers and quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah. Wide receiver, running back, quarterback, all the skill positions were four star. But I, I, yeah, I hear you, right? Like, obviously, Clemson recruited significantly better than ASU. So, uh, shouts to ASU for beating Clemson there. Um, let's, we got to take another dip down here. I mean, now it gets real weird where, you know, I'm looking at n- numbers here Virginia Tech, 
North Texas, Tulane, Kansas, UTEP, South Carolina, Georgia Tech, and then you finally get to number 88, Cal. Uh, Was there anything that Cal did well on offense? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, so like, so I still like, this is, this is where you start to get, like, if I was doing like one of the preview videos and like, I just, when I went through Clemson's offense, like there's not much positive to say, like all you're left with is like, well, this is the least bad of their numbers. Right. So like for Cal, the least bad of their numbers was explosive drives number where they were at number 51 overall, but Holy Moses, 121 in drive efficiency. Yeah. Like that is one of the least efficient offenses in all of college football. Um, Cal could not put together drives to put up points to save their life. They were at 82 in negative drives, too many three and outs, too many turnovers. This was against the number 90 overall schedule, uh, you know, slate of defenses. Um, And they were at, they were at number 68 in effective rush 85. I have no idea what chase Garbers is thinking in entering the NFL draft, but Hey, if I, I'd want to get away from this Cal offense too, as fast as I could. I mean, but we're, you're at the point now where we're talking about for Cal, you know, just in raw points per drive before we even do the really harsh opponent adjustment, you know, they're only at 1.7 points per drive over a game. And they have it, their average starting field position is at the 27. Um, but their biggest adjustment that we have down for them is that they just played a really, really weak slate of competition. Oh, my gosh. And when you take a look, like, you know, Kansas is higher than all of these teams. UTEP is higher than all of these teams. And, you know, you take a look at yeah, Cal. Yeah, I mean, Lance Leopold is actually going to build a, an interesting fun. Like, that Kansas offense was sneaky fun with not a lot of talent last year. Oh, they, didn't they do like the, the triple wing or whatever against Oklahoma? Yeah, I mean, they ran yeah. the ball down your throat. Like Lance Leopold is like, well, you gave me a, uh, he was like MacGyver, right? He's like, you gave me two cans and some <laughs> wire and I have my boy scout knife. What can I do? <laughs> uh, you know, you dip down to like, right. Wyoming's in at 90 and like, and, that, oh God. and that's kind of right. That's what, what I'm thinking of when you're thinking of offenses, like you think of Wyoming's offense, do you want to stick a fork in your eye? And uh, Stanford yes. is below that. Washington is right below that. Stanford's at 92. I can't see. Well, uh, so we got a number 14. I think that's, uh, I think that's defenses that they are uh, defense, a uh, schedule rank number 14. Congratulations. So they did. Now Stanford played a Stanford played a pretty tough slate of defenses, which helps improve their ranking. Uh, like, um, because it means we have to grade them, um, sort of on a curve Stanford, I mean, put up fewer, I mean, 1.73 points per drive overall. Um, uh, but th- as to your point, like they did it against a, a tougher slate of defenses, number 14, um, Notre Dame had a really good defense last year. They played them. Um, I think they also played Kansas state. Kansas state had a pretty good defense last season as USC. well. No, no, um, I'm just kidding. Not yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Stanford, all, I mean, the other thing that I mean really hurts them is like down the stretch, they f- totally fell apart. Um, so like beta ranks overall grading is going to really emphasize their their late collapse more than they played earlier when they weren't as, as horrible, <laughs> um, <laughs> but their worst number is 115 on drive efficiency. I mean, they couldn't put together long drives to put up points. Their best number is probably 70 in explosive drives. That's just not great. Um, you know, and it's, I, I, I don't, I mean, it, it, it does feel like, 
you know, with the Stanford team offensively, like they're not like with Washington right below them, you could talk, you could absolutely talk me into Washington having a pretty significant bounce back offensively with the new play caller and QB in, in place. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And there are a couple numbers, unlike Stanford, there's a couple numbers here with Washington that if you squint, you're like, ah. I mean, like, right. So, uh, number yeah. 43 in efficiency, which I think is interesting. Yep. Still not good, but you know, at least, or the drive rank. Uh, so what, what is the drive yeah. rank? Their drive efficiency is 43. So they, they were able comparatively, that's not a great score for a power five offense. Um, but comparatively that's, that's compared to like one ten and explosive drives. I mean, they just couldn't put up big plays last season. Um, one twelve and negative drives, too many three and outs, too many turnovers. So like if for Washington, what worked is like, they didn't have a very explosive offense. Um, if they could get out of you know, the first three downs without, you know, registering a three and out and could avoid turning the ball over, they might have a shot to like slowly plod their way down and like drive down the field. Uh, but they really struggled running the football one Oh nine and an effective rush. Um, you know, the offensive line struggled to open up holes, but I, I think also schematically Washington just ran between the tackles too much last year. Um, 57 and effective pass. I mean, they've got to find ways to get the ball out into the hands. I mean, it's, regardless of like the fact as bad as they were last year, they still have some talented players that you like to be able to turn things around. I thought they made a good hire in their wide receiver coach. Take that with the new, you know, offensive scheme coming in and Michael Penix is likely your starter. I, I think that Washington, you could probably pencil them in as like a top 25 offense next year. Yeah. It's, it's possible that they could come back and pop somebody. I, I guess one quick question for you, if we're looking at Stanford and Washington and then comparing them to Wisconsin or TCU about okay. how many more points per game or points per drive, if that, that makes it easier, are they behind a Wisconsin or a TCU? Seven points ish, maybe a little more, like maybe close to eight. Yeah. Rough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause like Wisconsin is like, like feels just like comically inept with Graham Mertz at QB. Right. But like Stanford was even worse. Oh yeah. Like, you know, uh, and I know it was a bowl game, but like Wisconsin, would they put up 24 on ASU or something like that? I have to go back and look. Maybe it's 28. I don't expect that from Stanford. Right. <laughs> Like for the most part in Washington, it's just gross, gross, gross. Uh, So let's get into the last two teams here. And, and, you know, we've picked on both of these teams at at length. So we'll breeze past them real fast, but uh, Arizona at 95. So if you start taking a look, you had um, Wyoming, Colorado state, Stanford at 92, Washington, 93, Hawaii, Arizona at 95. And then you got to dip down a little bit more. Holy Moses. We're now we're talking New Mexico state, Louisiana tech, San Diego state, Vanderbilt, Iowa, and then you get to Colorado, Rob, at number 107. Anything <laughs> that these teams Colorado. did well, I know, it's so bad. I mean, like, well, they're totally, I mean, in some ways, like, Arizona and Colorado are mirror images of each other offensively, at least on what they did well. So Arizona moved the football, com- and uh, this is all in comparison, so take this with a grain of salt. In comparison, Arizona moved the football pretty well. Um, so they, they were at 69 in, um, explosive drives, 70 in play efficiency, 77 in negative drives. The Arizona did play a, a tougher, you know, slate of defenses at number 20 overall. 
where Arizona absolutely struggled was turning drives into points. Drive efficiency, they were at 125 out of 130. <laughs> Arizona put up a lot more yards than they put up points last season by a long shot. Um, now, Colorado, if you f flip it over, I mean, and this is like, maybe they're not mirror images, but Colorado struggled. I mean, their only number that they have that isn't in triple digits is 89 in drive efficiency. So like relatively speaking, compared to the, how they were putting up yards, they put up a lot more, they put up more points than you might've expected, able to string some drives together. But 108 and explosive drives, I mean, really, really struggled to put up some big plays. They had a huge run pass split, 66 in effective rush, 118 in, a, in an effective pass. Either Lewis has to take a step forward or it's got to be Shrout, you know, coming in. But they, they, I mean, look, they've got a new OC. I don't love the hire, but he should be a lot better. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, I think that there should be some some movement upward for Colorado, and frankly, we're going to need it. Like, the conference just, like, you can't have teams that just don't care. <laughs> like, like well, Colorado. Truthfully, like, I mean, yeah, like Colorado. And, and look, I mean, Arizona, you can talk yourself into the offense getting, like, I think for both Arizona and Colorado, reasonable success is getting into the 60 range next season. And Stan, I, mean, I think for Colorado, it's it probably is right, like getting to that sixty range. Yeah, I think that like the good news for the conference is if you're looking at these bottom teams, right? Yeah, like Arizona, there's upside there. Colorado, there's upside there because there's not that much further to fall. Uh, you know, Stanford at least has the the on paper like the pedigree to move up a little bit more in terms of star power. Washington, you have a better offensive coordinator. I don't know about yeah. Cal. Um, that could be a problem. I, although they were racked with COVID, so it's possible they could finally get things together. But um, and I don't know about ASU. I think yes, if you get a new quarterback in there, but let's let's see the other talent that's actually going to be on the field and showing up. So like you know maybe they get to the fifties, but I do think that you see the basement rise, and that's exciting, right? Like right. Well, I mean, like look, I mean, you can talk yourself into. I mean, two teams we expect to make significant leaps: Washington and USC. Right. I think Washington state is a sneaky one. Yep. Going back to the air raid, bringing in ward at QB, um, to keep an eye on, um, Colorado. I think there's a, there's a shot for them to get out of as deep in the basement as they are. Cal, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't like Cal's the one that I kind of look at and I could kind of see them ended up. Do, do, there's not a lot to hang your hat on with them right now offensively, is there? No. Um, no. And Stanford, look, I mean, there's a lot of talent, and it's they've certainly, with the current offensive, more, much more than their current defensive coordinator, they've had some recent success. Um, in Arizona, you can talk, I mean, look, maybe Jaden Delora, who threw the ball pretty well and adapted pretty well with Washington State with the guys that Arizona's been able to add maybe they're better, but yeah. look, I mean, like, I think you should look, we should, we should be able to talk ourselves into the very least, like USC, I think has a shot to be a top 10 offense next season. Um, I think UCLA has a shot to, I mean, they finished at number 11 last year. I think they have a shot to be a top 10 offense. Utah very much should be a top 10 offense next season. Uh, Oregon is, feels like a little bit of a question mark to me. I'm just interested to see where they shake out. I think they certainly project to be like a top 20 offense again. But yeah, there's like, there's real, 
I think across the conference, like outside of like your real bottom tier teams, like I think there's real room for, for but like, now that's not to say overall, right? Like USC's defense is still going to be a problem, but you know, I think you could see some bounce back, particularly offensively and God, there better be somebody that could throw the freaking ball around. Cause like, I just, I'm not used to this, right? Like we grew up with the, the pac 12 that could the conference of quarterbacks and, and last season it was anything but. Yeah. So, so last question before we, we hang it up here, what team do you expect to make the biggest drop? And it might not be a big drop, but like biggest drop compared to all the other teams in the PAC 12. And what team do you think makes the biggest jump? It's tough because like, I mean, you could talk yourself into, like we just said, like, I mean, almost everyone in the conference you feel like has some room for feeling like there's some success, but I think ASU is your like your real opportunity, like offensively to take the biggest drop. They weren't good, but I think if you go through the top, you know, team like the rest of the conference, there's not a lot of candidates to actually get worse. Yeah. Right? Maybe maybe um, Oregon would be the other one where. I yeah, think maybe Oregon. You're right. First first year, you know, they're like maybe they don't get the quarterback right, and it's just kind of they're like struck. But like again, to your point, I don't think they drop a ton, but I could see them, like you mentioned, right. going from 14 to maybe 20 or 25. Yep. I think uh, the tide, of, but I can see ASU and yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah. I can see ASU going to 75. Like I I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. I, think, I think that's what, in terms of yep. the two candidates that can jump up more, I would, I would say Washington and Arizona just because they're so far down there. And I would give the yeah. hat tip to Washington. I just think that with a new coordinator, they still have players on that team. Arizona, just because they're going to replace their god awful quarterbacks with a, a quarterback that at least has shown that he can move the ball, and there's just an upgrade in talent. Just, but just no Gunner Cruz. Like I don't particularly want to see Will Plummer, but just no freaking Gunner Cruz. Yeah. Um, but Washington, I think, has the opportunity next season to be the biggest bounce back offensively, um, and I, and that is because they dug themselves the biggest hole. They were god awful last yeah. year. So much worse than their talent level. Uh, and that I think gives you a real opportunity with the upgraded quarterback and then with the the offensive line. But like USC's probably gonna jump thirty spots, I would imagine. Oh right? yeah. Like, I, mean, I forgot they were down. Well, what were they at? Uh oh yeah, they were at they 40. Were at forty. Oh yeah. That I mean that's, look, like yeah. Arizona like I think Arizona has a shot to get into the fifties, right? Like, which is also a huge jump, right? Like I think like Jed Fish has a has a you know, has been a good play caller in the past. Um, but we'll see, right? Like, but uh, like you said, like, I think most of these teams that there's some real optimism, um, you know, around where things could go. I mean, I'm really interested. What I re- you know what I think I'm really interested with Cal is like, because Wilcox just got that extension. Like how much patience does he have for Bill Musgrave? Hopefully little. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Like you can't, it can't go on. But like, look, if Wilcox turns out to be like Kyle Whittingham-esque where he's just like, hey, I'm just going to keep firing people until I finally get it right. Like that's, that's not the worst place to find yourself. Yeah, I'd, I'd be down for that for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and everybody gets buyouts too. So you don't have to feel too bad for him. So <laughs> maybe yeah. that, maybe that's where Cal's $500,000 goes. So. All right. Well, Hey, let, let's, let's hang it up here. Um, next week let's do the defense and we'll start to, okay. you know, bring in some spring practice notes and tidbits. And, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 12 pack radio, Rob, you're still, you're still cranking through the videos, right? Yeah, I gotta get I gotta get back on track. I've been doing a lot of housework, um, so I gotta, I'm gonna do Penn State tomorrow. Penn State tomorrow, and, and a quick heads up: if you are 
going to be at the Washington State uh, Wisconsin game in Madison. Let us know because we're taking a look at that because it'd be really <laughs> fun to go to Madison. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll put the, like we'll try to put something together. If you're if people are going, we'll uh, we'll we'll rent something out or something so that people can. I'll I'll come out of retirement and drink Fireball with some Kook fans. That's for sure. Like I'm I'm not I'm not opposed <laughs> to that. <laughs> well, I don't drink, so you're gonna have to carry us yeah, on that so one. Yeah, which might end up, which might end up really badly for you drinking for two as Kook fans. Yeah, that's never a good idea. But uh, but I you know <laughs> the things we do for our fans. All right, cool. Well, hey, thanks everybody for tuning in, and we will catch you next week.